Okay, technical glitch number one. Hopefully this will be the last of it. Good evening, everybody. This is Darius Asemi with GVR and Dr. Asemi and Dr. Carbasi <laughs> uh, uh, joining uh, you guys, uh, joining us tonight um, to discuss, have a great discussion on globalism, uh, Trump, and the Taliban, and what do they all three have in common? Or Maybe they don't have anything in common, but we're going to discuss Donald Trump, the Taliban, what they have in common, and how, how does that impact uh, globalization. Um, we have a special guest, Hamid Entezam, who's been on this show uh, a couple times, a uh, scholar of theology uh, from Southern California. But before we get there, a couple of cool things to share, to share with you. Let's put up our poll first. How long will Vladimir Putinsky, Putin, I mean, continue to rule Russia. Mike, what are your thoughts on this? I actually agree with the poll. Um, he, it's, he's going to be there as long as he Okay. Wants. Okay. I mean, okay. Are you are willing to push him out of the window? I don't know. Maybe he'll just fall. <laughs> there you go. trips. There you go. Um, okay. Yeah, but his grip is so strong. He's an oligarch. It's I know. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to um, the Trump faced uh, new criminal charges, RICO charges. Do we have a RICO? Uh, slide we can put up. Well, it wasn't just him. I mean, Giuliani was implicated in that. Let's as put well. up. It's in the story. Uh, what does RICO mean? Do we have a? I thought you were going to have a. Paul, you're going to have a RICO chart up. Slide. And I mean, synonymous with collusion. It's the anti-racketeering act. So yeah, it's a, yeah exactly. So no, it is. So it's a racketeering chart. And I wanted to put RICO up. Unfortunately, Paul didn't get it up. Uh, on time for us tonight, but uh, RICO charges are racketeering mm -hmm. charges, uh, basically what uh, Mafia and uh, some of the other f bad dudes get, get charged with. So we'll see how that uh, pans out. Um, that's Number an indictment. Four. Number four in a year, the fourth indictment. Fourth one. But this one was the first to have uh, racketeering charges Correct. attached to it. Which has okay. enhanced penalties on that. That's right. Uh, Next item, uh, City of Fresno wants to grow, grow, but neighbors say no. So, are you guys growing or no? It's not because of neighbors. I, okay. don't, think, I don't think we're growing, but that's a whole different, whole different show. Okay. We need to grow. We have uh, a lot of expenses. We got to 
Do you have a, let's put this next slide up on where, what the location of this southeast growth area is. Uh, this doesn't, it's not a very good image because it's, do we have another image that actually highlights this better, Paul? No. No, we don't. Okay, Paul says go, you got to go to the webpage. It's, it's only five clicks away. I mean, Southeast Fresno, look, you have, okay. the, you have the fairgrounds, for example, old UMC Huntington Boulevard. It's yeah. a very important part of town. Um, it's the Sanger Unified School District, much of it, which makes it more appealing to people that want to move. We need more starter homes in yeah. Fresno. We need more homes in Fresno, more apartments. And this is the area where there's enough land people want to build. Yeah. Um, but we have county residents that live in county islands, and they right. don't want to be annexed. They don't. I, I, the funny thing today, Daria, is no joke. For the first time since I've been a council member, a resident reaches out to me on Facebook saying, I'm in the county in northwest Fresno. I'm tired of this. I want Operation Cleanup. I want to be in the city. I had to go back and explain to her why there's always been a hesitancy because the county residents always protest. Yeah. But now we provide better services. I guess. Exactly. Let's move on to uh, Germany. What's happening there? Yeah, so one of the things I inherited from uh, my colleague was the sister city relationship. So tomorrow, okay. the mayor, myself, another colleague, and a big delegation from the Economic Development Department to our, to our planning department, we're all going to go to Munster, Germany. We had them here last year. We talked about that uh, on Unfiltered, and they're going to come back for an international bike summit. Okay. But uh, we'll be in Germany okay. learning a whole heck of a lot. Cool. Okay. Uh, how many people are going on taxpayer, taxpayer dollar? Well, I, this, okay. is the way, this is the way I put it. If okay. you want to expand our economy and grow, we can't just try to poach people from other communities. We have to bring foreign investment here in this community. And we are, versus San Francisco and L.A., we are a growing economy. But you can't just do that saying, hey, you're, you're from Germany. I don't speak German, but would you mind opening a battery plant here for electric cars? They don't know who I am. They're telling me to take a hike. Okay. I don't, I'm not L.A. or San Francisco. Yeah. You have to go and forge these relationships. And unfortunately, okay. it does cost a little bit of money, which we've... Uh, you, you, the budget, but you, that's the cost of doing business. You've invited them to come back to Fresno also, is that correct? Yes, but the good news about that one, that will generate a little bit of economic activity because it's an international bike summit. They're coming here. We have folks from... What, international? Explain what that is. So we're going to have <clears> folks <throat> from a few different European countries, as mostly Germany, coming here on an international pedestrian and bicycle safety summit, talking about bike technology, how we can incorporate that into urban planning in our community, um, all kinds of neat new things that I, that I don't even know about that have to do with the bicycle culture and technology and products. Um, but you also have Chattanooga, Tennessee, Rochester, New York, other communities. This is all part of the, what the German government funded last year, and they paid for it, an urban diplomacy exchange where several representatives from Fresno went to D.C. Again, the German government paid for it. All okay. this has come out of that, all that okay. collaboration, and that's the point. My interest is mostly economic, to bring in investment, but... Talking about bike safety is really important because about a third of their, their, their commuters in Munster, Germany, ride their bikes or walk to work. Here, it's kinda, like kinda 100%. Like, kind of like Fresno. No, no, no. Not <laughs> okay. even close. Not even close. So okay. they obviously do it better than we do. I'm still a car guy. I'm going to be a car guy forever. But I also want to make sure my friends and neighbors that ride their bikes are safe. And we do it in a way that doesn't hurt our economy but is responsible. And doesn't also take away from... Road capacity. Mm -hmm. right. you know, we've heard of the term road diet a lot. We're going to take four-lane road, make it two-lane, 
and then put in some bicycle lanes and a few other things. So now uh, their, their traffic gets backed up. So yeah. we want to do it in a fashion that does not take capacity away from cars because we're still a car Absolutely. culture. And okay. that's not going to change. What I do encourage folks to read, that there's an article that came out today on GB Wire. It has the itinerary. You'll see exactly what we're doing. The Germans oh. are very good with scheduling. And cool. it's going to be a very busy trip, but uh, we'll have hopefully posting things as we're there and some interviews with some folks. And uh, we want to bring this... Uh, Bring a lot back home. So you're going to do unfiltered next Tuesday from Germany. So from it'll Germany. be three a.m. Three a.m. your time. Cool. Yeah. Um, and you guys are going to leave next this weekend. Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, what is this thing on Iranians for Trump? I don't know anything about that. This is some, Paul snuck that in. Paul, let's put that image up. Iranians for Trump. What is that? It's not time yet, but we, I, I just want to put this up. This was done, was it in Kingsburg, California, <laughs> Paul? No, no, it's uh, over here in North Branch. <laughs> no, seriously, no, do we know where North this Branson. is or not? Capital, capital. Oh, this is D yeah. Washington, D.C., okay. Back uh, a few years few years ago. It's 2020 flag. It's, it's okay. not, if you want to talk about this, sir. No, you go, go for it. It's not surprising. So typically, at least until recently, most Iranian Americans tend to be Republican. A lot of reasons for that. When you look at foreign policy, um, before when the monarchy was around, typically Republican presidents provided a lot more aid to Iran um, when there was a non-theocratic government. And then 1979, Jimmy Carter, a lot of Iranians feel betrayed. So they tend to go with the Republicans. But the other thing that was interesting, 2003, Pre President Obama did a really, really amazing thing. He, this is right before the Arab Spring, had this, this, this announcement for the Iranian people from the Oval Office for the Persian New Year, which is something that for us predates uh, religion. It's a very, very, it's, the, it's a spring, spring equinox celebrated by mi millions and millions across the world. And then the Arab Spring happens and the Iranians loudly come out in the streets and the U.S. does nothing that supports them at zero, and um, that that really people don't those again these people haven't forgotten about that, and they want to know. I think there's a great opportunity for for the Democrats and President Biden to support Iran, but they're paying ransom to get five people out of jail. It's yeah. a great scam. Yeah. It's an amazing scam. The Iranians okay. are so good at that. Talking about scams, Taliban. <laughs> let's get into Taliban now. Okay, uh, uh, so let's bring on our guest, our uh, key guest, uh, Hamid Antazam. Good evening, Hamid. I want to give a, just a few thoughts, a few of my own thoughts before we get started. There's a lot of debate about immigration, migration, globalization, uh, America first versus, you know, importing the products we use in our country, uh, you know, especially as it comes to infrastructure and, and military, making sure we don't import that from anywhere else in the world. The Infrastructure Act, uh, what is that? Uh, I can't remember what, a trillion dollars, 1.2 trillion over 10 years. A majority, I, I believe all of the products have to be American-made. American uh, and so are we, are we efficient? Are we the most cost-effective? Or should we allow each country to become specialized it's an own, it, on its own specialty uh, to provide those uh, services and goods to other countries in the world? Uh, so that's really a debate about around globalization. And also, you know, when there's economic prosperity in all countries, because every country is doing, being prosperous, you know, developing and building its own 
uh, goods for export, then there's not as much need or any need for migration into other rich countries. So if, if most countries have opportunity for prosperity, uh, opportunity for economic growth, then those folks don't, uh, the citizens of those countries don't feel, uh, are not motivated to pack up, leave their country behind, country of birth, and migrate, uh, go through lots of peril to try to get to another country that's more rich and has, offers better opportunities. Um, so that's, you know, of course, you know, we, we run into politics and dictatorships and, and the rule of thugs that Hamid is going to talk about uh, here in a minute. But, and, and that kind of brings me to, you know, what is Trump president, ex-president Trump's uh, views on globalization versus America only? Uh, and uh, another country that has been in the news um, uh, on and off is the Taliban. And today, Mike, I think you said it earlier, yeah. Marks, uh, what did you say, Marks? The two-year anniversary of uh, the U.S. withdrawal. Of uh, pull out of, of, yeah. of Afghanistan and letting the Taliban take over all, all of our military might uh, that we left behind in that country. So what is the link between globalization, Trump, and the Taliban? And, and I want to ask Hamid uh, uh, a few questions. Uh, what does Talibanism mean? Let's kind of start with that. Uh, what, who is the Taliban? I mean, who are they? Uh, very briefly uh, for the audience, and then, uh, and then we're going to go on to what does globalization mean from your perspective, and then where does Trumpism come in, and what is the link between those three? Welcome, Hamid. And you are on mute because we can't hear you. It sounds like, uh, Chad, have we muted uh, Hamid? Can you unmute him if... It's the Russians. I'm telling you, Darius. Okay. It's the Russians. Or it's the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot hear Hamid. Uh, Chad? Yeah, I'm working on it right now. Okay. Let's go to Mike. Uh, get your perspective on um, what happened today with President Trump. Oh. Or yesterday, I should say, in Georgia. At midnight. The midnight Midnight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty good. It's tr uh, let me see. Is oh, why don't you answer that? Can you Any hear me now? Hold on, Hamid. We're going to get yeah, to you in a minute. I, I, I just worry, regardless of the merits or non-merits of it, it's fatigue. It's the fourth time in a year there's been an indictment. And, you know, one person this morning on an interview said, oh, this is, this is the true collusion is all these charges. But you know what? If these guys were really colluding, they'd have one set of charges because now voters and people are confused. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Florida, Georgia, New York. I mean, there are charges from all over the place. And uh, yeah. We'll see what happens, but it's going to cost a heck of a lot of money. So. It's true. Okay, Hamid is back. I think we, he has audio. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. So briefly, tell ah. us uh, briefly. Uh, tell us what does right. Talibanism mean, and then we're going to go straight into globalization and into Trump, and then the right. link between the three, the all three. Well, uh, I for for quite some time now, I have uh, held the view that. Uh, Finally, uh, Talibanism had reached the shores of uh, Europe and the U.S. Um, and so let me uh, explain what I mean by that. We all know uh, by now who the Taliban are. Uh, the Taliban is a fundamentalist um, group that rules Afghanistan today, and they subscribe to a harsh and reactionary version of Islam. But Talibanism really is an ideology. 
right? Uh, now, in the West, we rarely use the name Talibanism, but um, Iranian activists, for example, use it all the time. In fact, I often um, use it. Now, uh, Talibanism as an ideology has a Shiite flavor that rules over Iran today, by the way. The Islamic Republic of Iran, in my opinion, subscribe to Talibanism. And the Sunni version of that rules in Afghanistan. For the purposes of our discussion tonight, I can summarize this ideology, Talibanism, in two key characteristics. And uh, this, these characteristics are very important for our discussion tonight. The first, of, uh, the first one is rejection of modernity. And the second one is rejection of globalization. Uh, rejection of modernity essentially means that they do not uh, believe in the key tenets of the modern world. Um, modernity started uh, or emerged in Europe in 17th century. And our American society today is based on uh, modern principles and values, things like uh, critical thinking, representative democracy, rule of law, separation of church and state, women's rights, human rights, capitalism, civil society, so on and so forth. These are all very important pillars of modernity. Uh, perhaps uh, the one facet of modernity that irritates uh, subscribers to Talibanism the most is critical thinking. Now, critical thinking essentially means the ability to critique uh, authority, critique um, religious authority, political authority, the authority of established traditions. And essentially, that's how modern Europe was born. It was born out of critical thinking. So Talibanism, both in the, uh, the Shiite and the Sunni version of it, really find critical thinking uh, unacceptable. And along with it, all the tenets of uh, modern um, society. Talibanism also rejects globalization because globalization essentially negates tribalism. For the Taliban's of the world, the ISIS of the world, there is a tribe called the Muslim tribe, which is opposed to the Christian tribe, the Jewish tribe, so on and so forth. That's their view um, of the world. This world is composed of tribes, and every tribe stands um, against the competing tribes. Uh, so in a nutshell, that's what tribalism, uh, what Talibanism is, rejection of modernity and rejection of globalization. And both of these, by the way, both of these features that I just mentioned has crept into our um, polity today in the U.S. and for that matter, even in Europe. So a lot of the complaints that the Talibans have uh, against modernity and globalization, we find the exact same um, complaints of, uh, among the supporters of Donald Trump, for example. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, so then, 
again, so Talibanism and globalization go basically are opposite of their opposite uh, theologies. And kind of tell us what how Donald Trump fit, fits into this conversation. Well, if you uh, on the surface of it, uh, there is really no connection between the Taliban and Donald Trump. Um, the, the Taliban are extremely religious. Donald Trump is the last person that comes to mind when uh, we think of uh, Jesus Christ, obviously. He even never attends church. The Taliban live a simple and almost ascetic life. Donald Trump loves worldly pleasures. He's almost a playboy. <clears throat> so on the surface, there is no difference. I mean, there, there is no similarity um, between the two camps. But if we look deeper, their approach to politics have amazing similarities to the extent that I really believe Trumpism, not just the person of Donald Trump, the ideology that has emerged around this uh, person, uh, Trumpism, is the American version of Talibanism of the Islamic world today. Uh, Again, that may sound ridiculous to some people, but let me do a comparison between Donald Trump's and uh, a Talibanist politician, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Do you remember him? Yeah. Tell the audience, uh, without much delay, who he is. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad uh, was a former president of the Islamic Republic of Iran a two-term president. The second term, actually, he stole the election, right? And uh, in a rigged election, he won a second term in the office. And that led to the green movement against the regime uh, back uh, about 10, 12 years ago. Now, in the, uh, Ahmadinejad is undoubtedly a uh, Talibanist politician in the Iranian framework. Um, in the West, Ahmadinejad is most known for, as a Holocaust denier. If you recall, in one of his speeches in the UN General Assembly, he just denied that uh, the Holocaust ever happened. So that tells you what kind of person he is. Uh, very controversial. He essentially denies facts of history. Um, Ahmadinejad was, uh, is a populist politician. He utterly dislikes civility. He dislikes political correctness. Even though he, he is, he was and is still his, a part of the establishment in, um, in the Islamic Republic, he portrays himself as an outsider to appeal to disgruntled uh, Iranian voters. He hates intellectuals. He hates anybody uh, with an average intelligence. Morons usually do. Yeah. yeah we he you know, we're not talking about Jerry Dyer. I just want to make sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, I'm serious. I mean, those, are, those people who know Ahmadinejad know what I'm talking about. You see, he intentionally uses unsophisticated language to appeal to the less educated, right? But he often used very harsh 
and rude language uh, when he talks to his political opponents. Well, that must sound a lot like Donald Trump, right? It's as if Donald Trump uses Ahmadinejad's playbook in, in politics. Uh, but the similarities do not end here, though. A big chunk of the political base of Donald Trump resent globalization and also many faces of the modern world, many facets of the modern world. And that's where ta Trumpism and Talibanism, in my opinion, meet. So basically, you're, you're saying, could you repeat that again? Donald Trump uses simple language when he's talking to his supporters or complicated language? No, actually, very unsophisticated, simple yeah. language. You know, uh, language, it, it doesn't get into sophisticated discussions. I mean, that's what the, that's the classical definition of a populist leader, right? These populist leaders despise intellectuals, despise uh, uh, the media, despise, uh, despise questioning. That's what they are. And I think we need to take the, what I just said seriously that Talibanism, that way of political thinking and practicing <clears throat> politics has finally reached the shores of Europe and America. Well, again, what do you think are the, are the main drivers of the backlash against globalization? Well, a good question. You know, the, in, in, in recent uh, time, in the past uh, couple of decades, there has been a rising... Uh, backlash against uh, uh, globalization, right? So, but uh, globalization has uh, different dimensions, and it's important to really understand the various dimensions of, of globalization if we are to understand the backlash against it. Uh, most of us are familiar with the economic dimension of globalization. And Darius, you referred to that earlier in the program, right? Specialization within each country. So each country specializes in a given industry, in a, in, in a given uh, uh, line of business, one piece of the supply chain. And because of that specialization, everybody benefits, right? So yes, yes. Uh, and the thinking, actually, uh, when it comes to the economic aspect of globalization is that businesses will take advantage of la lower labor costs in developing countries. So they move their production lines to countries such as Vietnam um, or, or China. Many businesses in the U.S., uh, um, actually outsource their call centers or information technology services to companies in India, for example. Now, American cons consumers will win, right? They win by lower prices that they have to pay for goods that are produced overseas. But American workers potentially lose, and that's where things get complicated. That's where the backlash comes in, because remember, any change, any project will ultimately have winners and losers. Winners and losers. And globalization is no exception. American workers typically uh, or, or potentially lose because many jobs are shipped overseas 
And now American workers have to compete with cheaper labor abroad. So that's one aspect of it. Globalization also has a political aspect, a political dimension. You see, without getting into the uh, you know, technical aspect of it, one of the hallmarks of modernity uh, is the establishment of independent nation states. And there are about 190 plus nation states today, and the United Nations is where they all come together every year. Now, the United Nations and all the international treaties that, for example, the U.S. government is uh, a signatory of, you know, uh, the U.N. and these international treaties curtail national sovereignty. And this does not bode with folks that have high uh, nationalist feelings. They don't want the, the U.N., for example, uh, to step over their um, sovereignty. Now, movements uh, such as, uh, but also let me uh, talk about another dimension of globalization, which is probably a lot more unsettling to most people around the world. And that's the cultural aspect of globalization. This cultural aspect is very, very important. Now, cultural uh, uh, globalization in the cultural sense of the term essentially means that ideas, values are shared now across the globe. And that will ultimately lead to loss of identity for people. You hear it all the time, for example, from evangelical Christians or uh, Christian nationalists in the U.S. that, hey, we cannot identify America anymore as our homeland. We don't recognize America anymore. That's essentially, that's, the, that's one of the consequences of the cultural aspect of globalization. And loss of identity always creates anxiety and security for people. Movements such as the Taliban, white nationalists, Christian nationalists in the U.S., all of these movements in their own ways, they all embody fear, fear of the other, fear of loss of identity. And I got to be very, uh, very blunt here. Our globalized world is a scary place to live for a lot of people around the world. And that's where the backlash against globalization comes into play. Thank you, Hamid. Mike, you had a, you had a comment? Dr. Intasami, you did a really good job uh, even, even helping me to understand the, the similarities between Ahmadinejad and his populism and then Donald Trump and his populism and how globalization really taps into that segment of any population, whether it's here or even in, <coughs> I, I'm, I'm going to say this, in Nazi Germany when the Germans were very desperate and they, they went to this leader who used hate and fear um, exactly. So people that are economically downtrodden, I see how they're driven to this. My question, yes. though, is when it comes to the Taliban, a group where they harbored al-Qaeda, which was an unknown terrorist group that attacked this country, why do you think Trump in 2020, uh, was it 2018, in Doha, started the discussion with them? How did that play into that? Good question. You see, the geopolitics of the Middle East is very, very complicated. And uh, because 
on the one hand, you have the, our main concern, which is the oil reserves of the Middle East. There is also Israel uh, with its, its strong lobby in the United States. That plays a big part. And then you have Iran that is a menace to the whole world. And by Iran, I mean the Islamic Republic of Iran. It's a menace to the world. It's a threat to everybody. And uh, there you also have Saudi Arabia. And, and in this maze, the US government has to play its cards. It, it's a very complicated game. Now it's getting even more complicated by China inserting itself into the actively in the geopolitics of the Middle East. So I think Donald Trump had probably, again, I can't read his mind, but uh, I, by just listening to his arguments, I think uh, he had probably a couple of very important considerations uh, in mind. Number one, if you recall, Donald Trump was against uh, military involvement around the world. And I, 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 you know, I feel what, for what uh, Donald Trump was saying. I'm against uh, our, our government's military involvement around the world. We are not the policemen of the world, right? And Donald Trump was very blunt about it. And I, I, I think he, he has uh, a good point. So he wanted to extract the U.S., from these unending wars that we have gotten into. And uh, one of them was obviously uh, the, uh, the, the war against the Taliban in Afghanistan. So that was one okay. of his um, considerations that he just, uh, and we I- to, We need to move on, go ahead, uh, uh, Mike. Well, if you can answer it really quick. So that was Trump, now Biden takes over and there's an even bigger push to just get out of Afghanistan, which is tragic. Because, right. you know, the UN reported two out of three Afghanis right now can't survive on their own. They need humanitarian aid. The, the funny thing is the Taliban saying, hey, we've reduced violence in the country. Of course they did, because they're the ones suicide bombing their own people. That's the scam. Yeah. Yeah. So why, what do you think was going on in, geopolitically in this country during the Biden administration's initial months? Yes. Well, I really um, think that uh, the, the Taliban and for that matter, ISIS, okay? Let, let me step back. If you really go back 20, 30 years ago for the rise of, of Al-Qaeda, Taliban, and then ISIS, which is really an offshoot of Al-Qaeda, all of these terrorist organizations have their roots in Wahhabism, the official religion of Saudi Arabia, right? So just think about it. Some 44 years ago, the, the Islamic Republic of Iran come into existence, a Shiite government, and it has very big agenda. It has uh, aspirations. I, uh, the, uh, you know, Ayatollah Khomeini was not content to have an Islam, his, his version of uh, government in Iran. He wanted to take over Iraq, Lebanon, um, Syria, and um, thanks to the, our invasion of Iraq, his dream you know, came through. So now you have a Shiite belt in the Middle East. Go back like 30 years ago, Saudi Arabia and a lot of other countries, in, uh, Israel included, were really 
concerned about the rise of Shiite Islam, or at least the political Shiite Islam. Saudi Arabia wanted to uh, have a counterforce, not only against Iran, but also against Hezbollah, right? You, you, I'm sure you are familiar with Hezbollah and its role in, in Syria, in um, Yemen, in, Af in also um, Lebanon. In, in Lebanon and Syria, right? So Al-Qaeda and then uh, the Taliban and uh, ISIS later on were, were really a counterbalancing force against the Shiite aspiration of the Islamic Republic and uh, Hezbollah. That's my view of it. Okay. Uh, Joe Martinez has a great comment. The world is becoming global and so is the economy. We cannot afford not to be at the table. Otherwise, we will, otherwise we will be on the menu. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Let, me, let me say something about global, uh, globalization so that we know it is, it is unavoidable. We can't escape it. It is here to escape. Uh, Just think about it. Think of a, an imaginary person, Joe, who lives in uh, Fresno, right? I, I'm trying to paint a, a scenario for you to, to picture how... Uh, how we are all, how we have all embraced globalization, all of us. Joe lives in Fresno. He gets up in the morning, and the first thing he does, he drinks a cup of coffee. The coffee beans come from plantations in Brazil. Then Joe gets into his car to go to work, and he drives a Toyota. That Toyota was designed in Japan. Its parts probably were made in South Korea using Russian steel, Japanese, uh, Chinese aluminum, and Indonesian rubber. Then Joe uh, realized that, that, oh, I'm out of gas, so by the he way, stopped. By the way, Joe is gonna, Joe's Toyota was assembled in Mexico. Okay. <laughs> so Joe stops at the Shell gas station, which happens to be a British multinational oil company. That oil that Joe pumps actually was extracted from an oil well in Saudi Arabia by a French oil company. And then that oil was transported to California in a ship that, that is owned and operated probably by a Norwegian company. Once Joe is on the freeway, he wants to make a phone call to his mom to say hi. He, he uses his Nokia cell phone, which was probably designed yep. in Finland and assembled in China using chipsets that uh, were engineered in my beautiful city, uh, San Diego by Qualcomm. You get the picture? No, exactly. Basically, we can't run away from globalization. And again, I want to go back to my opening remarks. Yes. If, if we stop, try to, uh, you know, force globalization to stop, and, and, I, and I want to give Bill Clinton a lot of credit uh, where he came up with NAFTA uh, back in 90, what year was it, 94, uh, which was a tough deal to, to cut with the U.S. unions. Uh, especially UAW and some of the other ma major unions, but he realized if you don't take 
prosperity to Mexico, we're going to have to deal with massive migration into the United States from Mexico and other Central uh, uh, American uh, countries. But we, we can't escape globalization. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there. Uh, and those countries that try to curb it, uh, rich countries are going to be, you know, have to have to put walls on all boundaries, all borders. Um, and we're going to talk about immigration reform, hopefully in one of these upcoming uh, uh, podcasts. But yeah, uh, trying to stop globalization is just temporary because all of us, all consumers are used to inexpensive goods. Uh, we don't want to exactly. pay $40 for a T-shirt. We want to pay 8 bucks. Or, yeah. or $10. And uh, so I think most of us the know question, that. Doris, I yeah. think that what it really boils down to is how do we manage the downsides of globalization? Because globalization, as I said, as a project, uh, has winners and losers. Uh, so how do we really come to the aid of the losers of the globalization project? How do we manage the downsides of globalization? I think that's where the discussion has to focus on. Farishtan Nasruddin has a, a question for you. What are your thoughts on Taliban banning girls from attending secondary schools in Afghanistan while their own daughters are seeking higher education in neighboring countries? Well, it's not limited to uh, you know, the, the Taliban in Afghanistan. The same holds true of the Iranian government. You see these mullahs in Iran, they, when, uh, they, they, because they are very superstitious, they ask uh, ordinary Shiite Muslims to say prayers when they get sick. But when the mullahs get sick, where, where, guess where they go to seek treatment? To the best hospitals in, in the UK. That's what they've always done. Uh, Iranian officials, as much as they uh, badmouth our country, the US, most of their kids um, are at the best schools, best colleges in the US. Um, so it's not just limited to Afghanistan. It's just the, the, the trickery and the deceit, the, uh, the fact that uh, and these people are hypocrites. You know, their whole, uh, 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 you know, uh, idea that we are Muslims and we want to propagate Islam is a hoax. I've always um, said uh, in my lectures that the, the mullahs in Iran, the Taliban, the ISIS, they are all, they're, they're all a hoax. I mean, they are not sincere in their claim that they want to um, uh, uh, safeguard Islam or they want to I mean, propagate we, we, Islam. We need to move, move on. Uh, before we wrap up, and we, we have time, but we, uh, I want to address a couple of questions. One question that came online, and I think Mike has got a few comments. Uh, Cam Malloy put up a comment I want to read. I, I know this is only a one-hour show, but I could listen to Hamid Antizan for hours. Uh, and I would like to know what his thoughts are on how we get the United States out of our entanglement with Donald Trump. We need to move forward on both sides of the political aisle with new leadership. Well, let me say something first. I am, I am an independent. I'm not a Democrat. And my 
dislike of Trumpism has nothing to do with me being, for example, against the Republican Party. I am not. I really think that in a healthy uh, uh, democratic system, you need to have conservatives as well as uh, uh, progressives, and that's how we can have a, go a good system of checks and balances in, in our politics. So I'm not against uh, the Republican Party at all. I think it's going to be very, very difficult to uh, do away with Trumpism. I think Trumpism, the ideology that has evolved in the past, uh, uh, you know, uh, eight, ten years, is going to uh, outlive Donald Trump. I think uh, the onus is going to be on the uh, uh, Republican Party, its leadership, to come up with a new coalition, uh, come up with a new coalition, they, a new leadership uh, that can put an agenda together that is uh, center-right rather than extremist. It, the same applies, for example, uh, I'm a practicing Muslim. For the past 40, 30, 40 years, I have been in, in a, a struggle against Islamic extremism. I've always said that Muslims cannot shy away from the fact that they have a problem in their midst, in their community, right? Extremism, there is something in our Islamic community that produces extremism and we need to face it. The same applies to, uh, to the Republican Party. They need to face up the fact that they have a big problem in their midst. They have a big problem in their political base. And they need to address that with a new leadership and also by putting together, in my opinion, a new coalition that is center-right. And by the way, let's not forget, Donald Trump does not represent traditional conservatism. He does not. I mean, he's not uh, a conservative that stands uh, for family values, fiscal responsibilities, uh, small governments. You know, uh, that's really, that's not what Donald Trump is all about. But Donald Trump is an opportunist. He's, he sees opportunity, he sees weakness exactly. in the audience, and he knows how to capitalize on it. And, and he's a master. I'm, I'm going to give Donald Trump a lot of kudos and a lot of credit. He knows how to manipulate his audience. He knows how to sing to his audience so that they actually follow his tune. And, and, and exactly. really, he's a masterful uh, politician. Uh, and a dangerous one. He, uh, he used to be Democrat, now Republican, and he's learned to switch sides, uh, not on issues, uh, as it benefits him. I think he did that with the Palestinian-Israeli issue, his first I never forget his first, uh, the first Republican debate in 2016. He said, I'm going to be completely independent if I want to bring peace between Israel and Palestine. And two weeks later, he said, let me clarify that. Let me clarify my position. I'm a supporter of Israel and Israel only. So uh, he knows uh, how to appeal to uh, some of his base, the evangelical community, and uh, some of the other major lobbies. Uh, so he's ex exceptionally smart and savvy that way and how to navigate and garner votes and, and get, find people's weaknesses and find people's pain points, honestly. He, in 2016, he masterfully recognized that the Democ Democratic Party is becoming an elitist and telling people where they should live, how they should live, 
what kind of a high-density apartment complex in urban cities they should live, what kind of a bicycle they should ride instead of a car. He figured that out. Uh, pain point among, among so many Americans that were fed up with the Democratic Party. And, and really, that's what uh, became the surprise uh, that evening in, in November. Uh, I think it was a surprise to him, too, that, that he ended up winning the, the presidency. Uh, Mike, you had a question. I think, Darius, yeah. uh, if I may, yeah. uh, I think you nailed the head. Uh, you, know, you, you really said it the best, that Trump is a political opportunist. He exploits real grievances of a large segment of our society. Grievances such as the, uh, the fact that Washington is broken, we have a gridlock political system, we have powerful lobby that controls our Congress, the super rich who have a disproportionate weight in shaping laws and public policy, the fact that the voice and views of the average citizen does not register in the halls of power. These are real grievances that people have in our country. Unfortunately, Donald Trump is a false prophet. He is the wrong man to reform the broken system that we have. We need a, a new leadership that can really address the true grievances of a large segment of our society. Great points. Thank you. Before we wrap up, Mike, you had a no, just the, the nature of politics today, oftentimes, the most successful, loud, big stage politicians are the ones that they talk about problems, but it's not about solving them. That's, that's for who, God knows who. Uh, I want to talk about Saudi Aramco for a moment uh, and the reason why. You talked about Wahhabism. Now, in globalization, is it ever appropriate for a country a people to come together and boycott. The reason I mention that is, you know, if you go to Wikipedia and read about the war in Afghanistan, lasted 20 years, under results, the first line is Taliban victory. Now, I come from a multicultural background, but I'm proud of being an American. As an American, that really made me sick to read that. Because after everything that this country went through, I remember 9-11, it was 21 years ago, it's not that long ago. Uh, we're celebrating just in a you, couple of weeks. You were 19. I was in college my first semester. I felt like I was watching a movie. It couldn't have been real. Unbelievable. But it wasn't Islam that attacked us. It was this branch of it. People don't talk about the fact that the Saudi Arabian people gave just buckets of buckets of money to mm -hmm. Al-Qaeda. But now right. we, we buy their oil. And now they're going to China and helping China. In globalization, is there ever room for these political boycotts? And would it be appropriate for us to boycott, maybe produce more of our own oil and flood the market to hurt their economy? But hold on. We don't have any oil to produce <laughs> we here. We do. Okay. We do. So, we're selling them weapons. We have to limit you know, our oil. The, the, yes. the Trump administration <laughs> sold advanced fighters to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. You're right. You're right on all of these points, Mike. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's no other uh, questions on our Facebook Live chatter, so we're going to wrap this up. Any final thoughts, Mike, before we go to Hamid? No, I just I really appreciate okay. you coming on. It's difficult to talk about these issues. Um, it's some, for some people, it's very emotional, but we have to have these conversations. Like Cam said, we need to, in a sense, govern from the middle to come together. Like you said, sometimes there's room for <clears throat> conservatives, there's room for the liberals or the progressives, but... The people in the middle are the ones that are going to move the football across the line because in the end, we are one country. 
So uh, I do appreciate that and I look forward to the next time we have you on. Thank you very much. And Mike, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of people such as myself cannot be pigeonholed uh, to say that, okay, he is a conservative or a, uh, a progressive. I'm a practicing religious person, which means I'm, I'm socially conservative. But when it comes to political economics and also international relations, I consider myself a progressive because I stand for social justice. So how would you classify? That's why I'm, uh, I consider myself an, an independent, right? I, I, there are times that I agree with uh, Republicans, especially when it comes to fiscal responsibility and balancing our books. When it comes to um, international affairs, I am a, a progressive, which means I stand for social justice to help uh, people who are, who are oppressed around the world. So it's, uh, it's more than being a Democrat versus a Republican. Great points. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to assume that those are your final thoughts, Hamid. Yes. Uh, and my yes. final thoughts, uh, you know, about <laughs> what's going on in politics in our country. Uh, Cam has made some really good comments. There are several folks uh, seriously looking at running for president under different parties. Well, I don't know how many parties we have, 10 or 15, but Joe Manchin, uh, our U.S. senator from, is he West Virginia? Yeah. Uh, He's thinking of running under a third party, and the question is whose uh, votes is he going to take away? Will he take votes away from Trump or from Biden? And then there's the other gentleman that uh, his name escapes me. Robert Kennedy, of course. No, Robert Kennedy, but uh, as a con no, um, that, that is going to be running on, on the, uh, uh, I think, the Green Party that could take votes away from President Biden. So it'd be interesting to see how that shapes out. Or does Joe Manchin, uh, a Democrat senator that has voted with Republicans on many tough, critical issues in the Senate, uh, does he have an opportunity for those Republicans that are tired of uh, Donald Trump and for those Democrats that are tired of Joe Biden? Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to, to watch as this thing unfolds. But we know at the end of the day, it comes down to what kind of a machinery you have in place in all 50 states and majority of the cities in those 50 states to be able to get your message out, to raise money. Uh, it'll cost over a billion dollars uh, on each side um, to be able to get into the White House. So really at the end of the day is who's got the best infrastructure in place to be able to uh, get into that house. So uh, with that, thank you for joining us uh, this evening. Hamid, thank you for joining us from San Diego. Uh, My Mike, pleasure. Thank you. And uh, we will, I hope that Hamid Entezam will return during the holidays to talk about Christ and, and, and Christianity and Islam. Uh, one of his favorite topics uh, yes. and how, uh, what was the influences of Christianity into Islam and vice versa. So I hope to see you back, Hamid, uh, uh, before the uh, Christmas holidays. It would be my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me to your good program. Thank you. And good news on the weather. It's going to cool off. <laughs> and I'm leaving, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. that's right. You're leaving. <laughs> I was looking but, forward to that. But Fresno is going to get nice, cool 90-degree we, we, 90s weather. We need that. With the lows in the 60s. Uh, much nicer than uh, San Diego.
<laughs> okay, thank you, and thank you to our audience. Uh, hope you have a great week, and see you all next Tuesday. And remember, Mike will be joining us. Yep. Uh, live, live from Munster, Germany. Live from Munster, Germany. Hopefully you can take your camera. It's, oh, it's 3 a.m., so we won't see much outside, but hopefully you can have a few images that I'll, we can I'll share. The, yeah, perfect. We'll get them on. You can give us a nice update on what's happening with the Fresno delegation mm -hmm. in Munster, Germany, next Tuesday night. Stay tuned. And it looks like we're going to have another great hot topic uh, to cover next Tuesday, which uh, we will keep under wraps until early next week once we have our guests confirmed. But it's a center of some controversy in the city of Fresno. That's why uh, I'm leaving. Okay. <laughs> about what you can put in your mouth. So that's a, a small tip. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you and have a great week, everybody.